So, uh, hey, before we get started this morning, uh, just I want to do a little bit of uh, some house cleaning for us all. Um, I want to do an announcement that um, I want to do personally because it's kind of near and dear to my heart. We are hold, holding and hosting a marriage uh, conference or a marriage seminar for uh, all of Kettlebrook Church up at our community center. And uh, if we put that first slide up there, did you guys get my slide deck at all? I don't know. Okay. There it is. Hey, there it is. Okay. Um, it is June 9th and 10th. June uh, 9th is a Friday. It's Friday evening. And then most of the day on Saturday, I think it goes from like uh, 8.30 until about 4 or 3.30 in the afternoon. And you know how it is on your car, like, you know, every 60, 70,000 miles, you need to you know, tune up, you need to pop the hood, look underneath the, the engine and try to tune things up a little bit. That may be what it's like for your marriage. Some of you might be in a state, various states of crises, and this would be extremely helpful for you. My wife, Cara, and I went and heard uh, Dr. Richard Marks a few years ago, and he was awesome. He gives us all sorts of tools for communication to help us uh, communicate well in our marriage. So we want to make that available for you. Um, we, knew, we know that we chose uh, one of the worst weekends of the year, being the first weekend out of school, um, but... We hope that you can make this a priority in, in your marriage. If you do have that time free, we want to encourage you to go hear Dr. Marks. And there's more information on our website uh, for that as well. So we are in this series that we're calling uh, Distractions. Okay? And we're talking about the fact that God has plans and purposes and intentions for each and every one of us. Plans for our good, plans for our success, to know Him, to walk with Him to grow up, to be the people that He created us to be. But very often we fail to step into those plans and intentions that God has for us because we get distracted along the way. We might get distracted uh, from things like we've talked about where we are looking for love and affirmation and, uh, and affection in all of the wrong places because we have failed to understand and believe that we have been loved and affirmed and validated by God Himself in the Gospel, in Jesus Christ. We talked about the nation of Israel and how the nation of Israel was supposed to be a nation that was set apart uniquely for God's purposes and plans in the world. But if there was ever a nation that was prone to distraction, it was Israel. That's the story of the nation of Israel. They're constantly being distracted, saying, no, 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 we understand that we're God's unique people in the world, but we want to be like the nations around us. And they constantly fell into things like idolatry and immorality and all these other things. And they failed to step into the plans and purposes that God has for them. And we, we made the, uh, you know, the comparison that we, as the church of Jesus Christ in the world today, can be an awful lot like Israel. We, too, are the unique, called-out people of God to be His representatives in the world. And so often, so, so very often, we get distracted by the things of the world. And we want to be just like our neighbors and just like the world. And when we do that, we get distracted and we fail to step into the plans and purposes that God has for us. Today, we're going to not talk about, uh, about that. We're going to, to talk about uh, being distracted, not by things of the world or not by being discontent with what God has given us, but we're going to talk about being distracted by the circumstances in our life as we journey with God on mission with Him. 
Because many, many of you here today, I know you're on mission with God. You want to be a community of people who are on mission with God. And oftentimes, it's the very circumstances that we find ourselves in as we are on mission with God that threaten to distract us, that threaten to move us into immobility. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a situation where you have been so overwhelmed by the circumstances in your life that you were almost paralyzed in immobility? That you were just, you're just, you're just completely overwhelmed and you didn't know how to take the next step in your journey. Have you ever, any of you ever been there? You don't have to show your hands, but maybe some of you may have been there. I was been there. I've been there, a, a, you know, a couple times in my life. I was there a couple years ago and, um, we were, uh, taking a spring break trip and we went to this place called Red River Gorge. Okay? Red River Gorge. Now, to back up a little caveat for all of you, I, uh, in, in my youth, when I was younger, I was not afraid of heights. Okay? I used to jump out of perfectly good airplanes and go parachuting. I would climb up ridges. Uh, one of my favorite things to do was to, to jump off this train trellis up there in Adam's Friendship. We would shimmy up the I-beams, go all the way up to the top, and then jump off. We had no idea what was in the water below us, and we were young and stupid and immor- uh, immortal, you know. Um, but, but, but something happened between 40 and 50. I, I began to realize that my body doesn't bounce the way that I thought it would. And, and I went from being fearless of heights to, to having a healthy respect of heights, to, to dreading heights, and to finally being afraid of heights. And, and that was where I was at with my, with my uh, family when we were in Red River Gorge. We were on this path and through this wonderful you know, wilderness area. And in order to continue on the path, you had to cross this like land bridge. Okay, there's this land bridge. It's about 300 feet across, and it was, you know, all about about 15 feet wide. I'm telling you, it was about as it was bigger than this stage, probably. It was wider than this stage. And there, there's a picture of it up there. There's my son Matthew and his friend Keaton. And there's this land bridge. And on either side of this land bridge, it just drops off into oblivion. Like you, like, uh, you can't see the bottom. You know, I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but, uh, but you know, and there are no guardrails there. Some sort of insurance thing that they said, well, if we put up guardrails there, we got to put them up everywhere, and then somebody will sue us, and we get lost. So, so there's no guardrails, and that my kids are are halfway across this thing, and they get they get to the halfway across, and they look around, and they're like, come on, dad. I mean, they're practically playing football on the thing, you know, and and I'm like, no, I'm good. I I think. I, you know, I'll meet you at the car, okay? You know, I'm sure that this thing goes in a loop. I'll just meet you back at the car. And, and they're like, no, come on, Dad. Just, you know, it's like, it's, 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 you know, as wide as a road practically. And so I realized that if I fixed my, my focus on a tree on the other side there and I just looked at the tree, I could take one step in front of the other. And it's, I, it, was, it had to be so hilarious because it's like as big as the stage. And I'm like, huh, huh. Uh, and, and as soon as I took my eyes off of that tree and began to like appreciate the scenery around me, I began to sink down. And then, but then I fixed on the, tr- on the tree again and I start walking again. And eventually, believe it or not, I made it across. Okay? Now, the, 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 the verse that we've been kind of using as an anchor verse for this whole series is Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. And, and it says this up here. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off 
everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. The author of the book of Hebrews alludes to the fact that there is this direct correlation between fixing your eyes on Jesus and being able to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for you. When we make Jesus and his ways and his teachings the singular focus of our lives, we're able to grow and make forward progress in our Christian life, regardless of what circumstances might be going on around us. Much like my experience at Red River Gorge, if I fixed my eyes on that tree, I could keep on walking and make forward progress. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, you know, when our circumstances, our immediate situations and surroundings are difficult and they threaten to paralyze us, we can keep taking that next step in the journey. And the narrative that we're going to read today is a, a familiar narrative. It's Matthew 14, 22 through 33. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, you will find it on your Bibles on page 680 if you grab the Bible below. Otherwise, it's Matthew 14, and we're going to read verses 22 to 33. This might be a familiar passage to some of you. For some of you, it might be new. But either way, I believe it has some instructive principles for us. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come out, to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, this whole thing takes place on an area called the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is is actually not a sea. It's like this says in the passage, that's actually a lake. It's a freshwater lake. And um, we don't really have an equivalent to it here in Wisconsin. It's about a third of the size of Lake Winnebago. Okay? And it's it's almost surrounded on every side by these steep hills and ravines that go almost straight up. Within these steep hills and ravines are these crevices or these canyons that make some great wind gusts. And the Sea of Galilee is infamous for the storms that will blow up on it. And it will cause almost seven foot rollers on top of this, on, uh, on, on top of this lake. And this was kind of the situation that the disciples found themselves in. Now, Jesus goes off by himself to do some praying. It's been a hard day for Jesus. Okay? At the beginning of the day, he just caught wind of the fact that his cousin, John the Baptist, his partner in crime, has just been executed. Okay? They were kind of partners in seeing the kingdom come. All right? John, John was the one who announced Jesus 
to all of Israel saying, look, there's the Son of God who takes away, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And he's just been executed. They feed 5,000 people and then Jesus tells his disciples, he actually compels them and says, go out in the boat, I'll meet you on the other side. And he goes up on the uh, hill to pray. He can see these guys on the hill. They have been straining all night. The wind is against them. It's the wind coming out of the west. And they're trying to get to the other side. If you've ever been out on a boat going against the wind, you will know it's no fun. Okay, And these guys are out there and they've been straining all night. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the fourth watch of the night. They have been getting nowhere. They're exhausted. They're delirious. They've been on seven-foot rollers all night long. You know, no, no drama mean at all. And they are absolutely exhausted. And in the middle of the night, in the lightning, they see a figure coming towards them. And they do what you and I would do in that situation. They freak out. You know, and they're freaking out. And Jesus comes and says, don't freak out. Okay, that's Mike's paraphrase. Don't freak out. It's me. And Peter, being the impetuous one, he senses a divine moment. That this is a unique opportunity. And, and he wants to seize it. And he says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, if it's really you, if it's really our friend, if it's really our Lord and our leader, then tell me to come out to you. And there's no indication that Jesus is ticked off at Peter's request. He doesn't chide him. He doesn't rebuke him. He's like, I think he's actually kind of pleased. I thought Jesus, I think, I imagine Jesus getting a smile on his face. He says, okay, come. He's glad that someone's up for the challenge. And he says, come on, come on out. And so Peter gets out of the boat and for a moment, he's literally walking on water. He is doing something that no one in the history of the world has ever done and no one in the history of the world will ever do again. He's literally walking on top of the water. Way to go, Peter! But immediately, when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he gets scared. And he sees the storm, and he sees the wind, and he sees the waves. And when he gets scared, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink, and he begins to drown. He calls, calls out, Jesus, save me! And Jesus grabs him and saves him. And it says, he says, you little faith. He says, why did you doubt? And, and again, I don't picture Jesus saying that in a, in a rebuke, in a chiding way, kind of like some you know, perfectionist father who talks to his son after a football game. Why couldn't you have scored more? No, it's more like a father who's seeing his kids take their first step and they're taking one, two, three, and they fall. And they're like, oh, you were doing so good. I imagine Jesus saying, Peter, Peter, you were doing so good there. You know, you could have, you could have, even, done, you could have even done more. And so I think that this story, this true story, has, is a great living illustration of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. That when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in the midst of the storms and the circumstances of our life, we are able to make forward momentum in our journey with him. But when we get overwhelmed by the circumstances, when we look at the circumstances of our lives and focus on them, we will get overwhelmed and we'll begin to sink. And, and John Ortberg, in, in, who's a pastor and author out in California, he does a wonderful job unpacking some of these principles in his book. It's called, if you, walk, well, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat, which is the main idea of the book. If you want to walk on water, if you want to have these amazing experiences with Jesus, you've actually got to get out of your boat. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to get out of your realm of safety and security, whatever it is, if you want to have these amazing experiences with Jesus. And some of the principles that John expands upon are that when Jesus calls us and invites us, there's, there's always an invitation. 
It's always accompanied by fear. There's this natural inbuilt resistance. There's always has to be a decision to step out of what you're familiar with. And then there's always a changed life as a result. There's always a call. There's always an invitation. There's always inbuilt fear, this propensity, this resistance. And there's always, but there's, but there's always got to be a decision to end, eventually step out of our comfort zone. And as a result, we see our lives being changed. And this is almost always the way that God works with people when you look at the scriptures. The only additional caveat in this story with Peter is that in order to continue to journey with Jesus on the mission is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and not on the circumstances that are around you. Because when you look at your circumstances, you will tend to get overwhelmed. You'll tend to get scared. You'll tend to doubt and say, this is impossible. And you'll begin to sink. Because for Peter, the storm was everything. It was his reality. It raged all around him. It was almost impossible not to focus on it, right? And whenever Jesus invites us to follow him, there are going to be storms in our life. There's going to be stormy circumstances. It's an inevitability. In fact, storms in life is an inevitability whether you follow Jesus or not. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 7, and he said, there are two types of people in the world. There are people who follow me and do what I say and people who don't. And he says, when the storms of life come, he doesn't say, if the storms of life come, because they're going to come. It's a guarantee. And he says, when the storms of life comes, the people who are able to persevere through the storms and make it through the storms are the people who have made my ways and my teachings and my values the focal point of their life. And they obey, obey my teachings. And, G, and Peter is actually a living illustration uh, of this. Now, it's important to notice the storms here, they're not distractions from the mission like we've talked in weeks past. They're not things like entertainment or social media or something like that. Uh, they're not temptations from the evil one to get us to doubt God's goodness like we looked at when we looked in Genesis chapter 3. The storms are the reality that we are in when we journey with Jesus. It's the inevitable difficulty we will experience when we decide to be on mission with him and respond to his commands to uh, be his representatives in our immediate area. So what are the storms in your life that you're facing right now? What are the circumstances that you are facing as you as you journey with Jesus, as you strive to be on mission with him, where you are threatened to be overwhelmed to the point of paralysis, where you don't know what the next step is to take, when you're, you're threatened to be crushed under this weight of circumstances that you face as you're journeying with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you are a young mom and you are just overwhelmed with the responsibilities that you have as a young man, with the diapers and the chores and the cleaning, and you forget that you have a mission and a mandate from Jesus to raise these kids to be life changers, okay? It's interesting, we're now 12 years old as a church, and the kids that were like three and four years old when we first started are now high schoolers, okay? And I don't know if you know this, but one of the most exciting ministries we have in our church today is the high school ministry. It's amazing what God is doing amongst our young kids. My wife is a small group leader in our torch ministry, which is our high school ministry. And 
some of the gals in her small in her small group have indicated that they're interested in becoming missionaries. There's like three or four of them that said we want to go on overseas with Jesus as his ambassadors, as his missionaries. So she's decided to start this small group for gals to look at God's plan, global plans and purposes from Genesis to Revelation this summer and just kind of go through and look at the whole sweeping scoop, scope of Scripture and say, what is God up to in the world? She has now 12 girls signed up for it who are interested in missions. Isn't that crazy? I should get a clap or an amen or a grunt or something like that. Yeah. I, I had an appointment with the, one of our high school kids. He called me last week and he said, Pastor Mike, can I meet with you? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. So we met over at Jumbo's, and I didn't know what it was about. I was like, I don't know, maybe the kid is fa- facing temptation as a high schooler, or, or maybe he's having trouble with his parents or something like that. So I didn't know what it was about. And so we met at Jumbo's, and we sat down, and so he's like, okay, I, I've, 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 I've done everything I hear you talking about. I, I have friends that are non-Christians, that are, that are not believers, I think I have their respect. They, they confide in me. They talk to me. Um, and, and they know I'm a believer. Now, how do I tell them about Jesus? I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah. I'm, I'm serious. I'm like, like, how do I actually tell somebody about Jesus? I'm like, that's an awesome question. You know, I love answering questions like that. That's a, that's a great question. And we, so we began to discuss and dialogue. And I gave him, gave him a book to read. And, and I'm just like... That's amazing, because you are putting most of the adults, myself included, to shame, because he's like, you are actually doing it. You're on mission with God. And what we forget is that with a kid like that, is for 15 years, there's been parents who have been going through the storms of life with this kid. It began with diapers, and then it began with taking him to soccer practice and football practice, and then it began with, you know, the police calls late at night, and I know the parents, and I know where they've been, and now they're at the point where... They are now seeing their kid on mission with God. But whenever you're on mission with God, there's always going to be stormy circumstances. We have this person uh, up on our West Bend site who is trying to get a shelter for men open in our area, for men, men who are vulnerable. And they just had the public hearing for uh, for the uh, uh, conditional use permit, and let me if you've ever seen a storm, there was a storm, right there, because there's a lot of people who are like not in my backyard, and he has been overwhelmed in the storm, but he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus in the middle of it. God's called me to minister to these men, and I want to be fixed on that, and so as long as he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. He will not sink. In order to continue to journey with Jesus, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and not on our circumstances. So what, does it, what exactly does it mean to fix our eyes on Jesus? What does it mean to, to keep our eyes glued on Jesus? You say, Mike, you say that and it sounds good and I can make it into a bumper sticker, but what does that, what does that mean? How do, what does that look like to fix our eyes on Jesus? There's actually, I think, three things to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Number one is remember his purposes, Okay. God's purposes are global in nature, okay? He's, he has said that he wants his fame to be known throughout all the world, and he wants us to be a part of it by helping people become disciples of his son, Jesus Christ, okay? That's his purposes for the world, and he is inviting us to be a part of that. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we say, okay, Jesus, 
I want to be a part of your purposes in the world. The other thing that it means is that we remember his promises. And one of his promises is the fact that his plans for the world are not going to fail. They're going to succeed. They're going to win every time. I have a friend who says to me, he says, Mike, he goes, I've read the end of the book and we win. <laughs> Jesus wins at the end and his plans are going to succeed. He says this gospel will be preached to all nations as a testimony to all men. And then the end will come. His plans and his purposes are going to succeed. And when we journey with God on mission with him, on mission with Jesus, we have to remember his promises that they will succeed. Anybody who's ever done anything for, for God over the course of history has done this. They remember that his promises cannot fail. When the Israelites were moving into the promised land, they sent in 12 spies to scope out the land and scout it out. And they all came back and 10 of them came back and they said, yeah, it is. It's a really good land. God has led us to a great land. It's really good. But there's these huge people who live there and we're never going to defeat them. They're way too strong. And two of the guys said, it doesn't matter how big they are. They could be 30 feet tall for all we care. God told us to do it. He promised that he'll be with us. He promised that, we'll, that we're going to succeed. So we should do it. And those were the only two guys who eventually got in to see God's plans prevail. David, this young shepherd boy, you know, at the time, and the Israelites are scared to death of their, of their enemies, the Philistines. And the Philistines are going, they're talking smack and they're dragging God's name through the mud and they're like, oh yeah, if Yahweh is so powerful, why can't you guys come out and fight our, our champion, Goliath? And they're talking smack against God. And no one's doing anything. They're all scared to death. And David, this little shepherd boy who's coming out to give some food to his brother, says, is anyone going to do anything about this guy? Is anyone going to fight him? Because if no one else will, I will. God has said he will fight for us. Is anyone going to believe him and believe his promises? And he goes out with his sling. And you know the end of the story. He takes five smooth stones. First one, dead on. Kills the, kills the giant. Knocks him down. And this is how you know, this is how you know that the Bible is true, okay? David was about 12 years old when this happened. You know what he does after he kills the giant? He takes the giant's sword out of his scabbard, cuts the guy's head off, and takes his head home. He's like, yep, I killed the giant. This is my head. I get to keep it, you know? And he tells you, read the story. He takes it home and takes it to his tent and buries it in his tent. When, if we're going to journey with Jesus and not be distracted by our circumstances... We need to remember his promises. And the last one is we need to remember his presence, that his presence is always with us. Jesus said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And in Matthew 28, he says, I'm going to be with you as you journey with me on mission. As you journey with me on mission to make disciples, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. When you're in your circumstances, when you're on mission with God and you don't know what the next step is and you're threatened to be distracted by all the storms and all the circumstances in your life and you don't know what the next thing is to do, remember, Jesus is with you in the storm. He is right there with you. And this is how we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Remember his purposes, remember his promises, and remember his presence. Many families in our church have decided to step out in faith on mission with God by taking in foster kids into their family. We've got about 50% of the foster kids in 
uh, Washington County right now are taken care of by families within Kettlebrook Church. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But, you know, when you invite another child into your family, it can be a storm. There can be some circumstances there. And, and from time to time, it can, be, it can be difficult and you can be overwhelmed and you can say, God, what am I doing here? I don't know what to do next. But as your pastor, if you find yourself in that situation, I want to remind you to remember God's purposes, remember his promises, remember his, remember his very presence with you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus as you journey with him, whatever it may be that you're doing, and you will see the miraculous happen just like Peter walking on water. I had a friend growing up. Her name was Kim Lundberger. She was part of the youth group in our church. It always seemed kind of strange to me that Kim was Kim Lundberger, but she lived with Bob Boswell and the Boswell family. And I was like, well, how does that work? She's Kim Lundberger, but she lives with the Boswell family. Oh, well, that's strange. never occurred to me when I was in high school that she was a foster kid and that the Boswell family was on mission with God and they are inviting these kids, the two Lewinbergers, Sean and Kim, to live with them. And they lived with them all their growing up years, from seven years on up. And because of that, Kim was taken to church every Sunday. And Kim saw a praying family up close and personal. And Kim got the opportunity to go to a Christian college and get a good education afterwards. And now Kim is a mom of five of her own kids, and they just adopted two Chinese girls from China. There's a picture of, of her and her family up there, right there. This is before the two Chinese girls that they just stopped. She's this amazing mom who's raising her kids to be kingdom kids and kingdom children, be life changers and be world changers. But it all started, it all started because one family, the Boswell family, decided to go on mission with God and invite these two kids into their life. Do you think there were storms during that time? You betcha. You betcha. But they kept their eyes focused on Jesus. And they saw the miraculous happen. I'm going to pray, and then there's going to be two questions up here. And our, our heart's desire and our prayer is that you would take some time to meditate and contemplate these two questions. And that as you meditate and as you pray about these two questions, that God would speak to you. And he'd encourage you to continue to be on mission with him and to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be a people who are on mission with you. We're struggling to do this. We're at various stages in this, but we are all desperately wanting to somehow be on mission with you in our community and in our world. And Lord, there may be people here in a room this size in a crowd this size, there has to be people who currently are overwhelmed by the circumstances in their lives. And they're threatening to throw it in, to be overwhelmed. And they're sinking just like Peter began to sink. I pray that they might cry out to you and say, Save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. And that you'd be faithful and you'd grab them. For the rest of us, I pray that we would be able to keep our eyes fixed on you as we journey with you. That we remember your purposes in the world. Remember your promises that they will not fail. And that we remember your very presence with us. Always in the midst of the storm. And we pray.
pray these things in Jesus' name, that you would receive all the glory.